0: Hey, what is going on everybody and welcome to Listen Money Matters. The safest way to double your money is to fold it over and put it in your pocket. <laughs> my name is Thomas and I'm here as always with my good friend Andrew. Andrew, how are you and what are you drinking? Is it four o'clock for you?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's actually more appropriate that I'm drinking beer now. Usually I'm starting at nine and then when we're done recording at 10, I just don't do anything for the rest of the day. But, yeah, uh, so now that it's four o'clock, you're going to hold up a handle of absinthe, right? Damn Right. uh just drinking some great lakes brewing co turntable pills
0: okay is that from minnesota or maybe Uh, not great lakes so maybe like ohio or michigan or something
1: oh my god you're asking me all these challenging yeah it's cleveland
0: there oh nice nailed it i'm just drinking coffee because that's the kind of day this is uh but it's in a glass mug which is just the best
1: it looks very fancy
0: I know right. Somebody on Twitter was like, Oh, do you have like some brand name? And I looked at it, it was like thirty-two dollars, and mine was like six. So either they got screwed over royally or my mug is going to break very soon. (laughs) We're gonna find out.
1: The only thing I can get in New York for six dollars is a punch in the face.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That does sound about right from New York. Craig, does that sound about right? That's about right.
2: You know, I gotta
0: say though, like I don't know I don't know what your guys' opinion of New Yorkers are, but when I went there the first time, um, somebody told me that like New Yorkers aren't mean, they're just on a mission and like you're in their way for their mission. And that's basically <laughs> how I've perceived it ever since. They don't want to run you over with their car. You're just in the way of their mission. <laughs> <laughs> Which is to get dollar pizza or something. Well, you know, so- anyway.
1: I was listening to Freakonomics and the episode was called How to Get Away with Murder. And mm-hmm. the the only like or the best way to get away with murder is uh, in New York hitting someone with your car because there's no vehicular manslaughter. Uh, and actually, Craig, you're a police officer. So you can tell me if that's correct or not. Or you were a police officer. I, I, I
2: think there is vehicular manslaughter.
1: So, okay, don't kill somebody with your car. (laughs) (laughs) Always dishing out that solid life advice. It's been about 17 years,
2: but I'm pretty sure that one's still on the books.
0: That sounds kind of like um, one time somebody said, oh, if there is a white border around a stop sign, you don't actually have to stop. And I'm like, it still says stop.
1: That's painter's
0: tape. (laughs) Why would that make any sense? (laughs) So anyway, um, we've already kind of introduced Craig, but guys, today on the show, we have Craig Cody, who is a certified tax coach, CPA, and a former New York City police officer, which is why he knows, unlike Andrew, that you aren't allowed to kill somebody with your car. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he also knows quite a bit about taxes. And so today we're going to be talking about taxation and how it relates to real estate investing, which I know is something that Andrew is probably chomping at the bit to learn more about since, what are you up to now, four properties? Three, Three still? Three still? Okay. I, li-
1: I live in one and then three people live in my other ones. Gotcha. Okay. So you own four
0: pieces of property. You're just yes. not really making money off of one of them. One of them is your money pit?
1: Exactly. One is terribly <laughs> expensive.
2: <laughs> so Craig, uh, do you also do real estate investing too? I have at times. Currently, uh, I'm doing college investing. College? My, uh, as a matter of like- fact, my last one uh, graduates this weekend. Okay.
0: Nice. Nice. So you, did you sell off your properties that you had then?
2: Uh, the last one I sold off about seven years ago. Uh, okay. And uh, unfortunately, the first one I sold off was recently sold uh, at about a five-time profit in Manhattan. So it hurts Ooh. when oh, I think wow. about it.
0: Yikes. That reminds me of that Victoria's Secret story from The Social Network. I don't know if you guys remember it. Hmm. Apparently, the guy who uh, started Victoria's Secret, he was just a dude and he sold it for, I mean, some respectable amount of money. But then a few years later, it sold for like, I don't know, many, many, many times that to a very big company. And he ended up jumping off a bridge or something
1: like that. What?
0: Yeah. I don't know the like the whole story, the full story, but it's in the social network.
1: Interesting. That's weird because you'd think he'd at least get their mailers for free. (laughs) <laughs> at home. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, I guess that, that FOMO could be a killer. So Anyway, mm, yeah, get into it, Andrew.
1: I was going to say, Craig, to start, can you uh, explain how rental income is taxed? Uh, there's like all these things floating around and people say, I, I want to hear it from somebody who actually does taxes.
2: Okay, so rental income after your expenses mm. is taxed as ordinary passive, in most cases, ordinary passive income okay if Mm -hmm. it's if you're an active real estate person then it's ordinary income
1: so so i'm so what's the difference there yeah
2: passive versus active uh pass passive really comes more into play when you have losses in your real estate Mm -hmm. um so passive losses depending on how much money you make can only be offset against passive income okay um if you make under let's let's just use a hundred and $50,000, you get to take passive losses up to $25,000 a year. It's like a sliding scale. Okay. But um, the main thing is uh, a lot of people have real estate and they have these losses they're generating and they think they could offset all the income they're earning and it turns out they're making too much money to be allowed to take the passive losses so they have to figure out ways to generate passive income and uh, that's where tax planning comes in sometimes we figure out how to generate passive income.
1: Go okay. on. Tell and me then more. You, then
2: you use that <laughs> passive income to offset your passive losses. I'm confused that would otherwise.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Very confusing.
2: Um, so it, it's, it's, you know, the problem is a lot of people don't realize and there's not enough communication between them and their professionals to realize that real estate's a wonderful investment. A lot of times it throws off losses, but if you don't, really do some planning, those losses may be deferred to some point when you have other passive income. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. I feel like I now have like 10 question threads that I want to ask you, but to <laughs> close out the first one, what is active income and what is passive income? Because so, I, if, if I don't do anything to get my rental property, I get that that's passive income. Right. Um, but- I I heard that like rental income isn't always passive income. Or I guess what you said like sliding scale of how much you earn like
2: and it, it more often it comes into play on the on the loss side because if you have passive income and the no losses you pay tax on it. Mm. You know, whether it's passive or or non-passive income, but if it's a passive loss, you may not be able to deduct it, but if it's a if you're a real estate professional and you meet the criteria, which is basically if you have another job, you have to actually be spending more than half of your working time doing your real estate. So you may not get the option of taking those losses immediately. They just sit there.
1: So let's say um, I make $20,000 a year because that's, I really don't work that hard. And I have, <laughs> I have rental properties that generate losses of $20,000 a year. You're saying essentially at that point because I'm at so low on the scale, I would pay zero dollars in taxes. Correct. Okay, now let's say I work a little bit harder and I make eighty thousand dollars a year. I mean, well, a lot harder, um, and I make eighty thousand dollars a year and I have twenty thousand dollars in passive losses. How would you calculate that? Do I- you would
2: you would probably at that point still be allowed to t- probably be allowed to take those passive losses. So, that means, so would that
0: mean your net income would be, or your net taxable income would be $60,000? Yeah, if we
2: just look at it real generally, yes. Real yeah, generally, well, let's okay. not
1: get super specific because I know there's like an edge case for every state or whatever, It's and it's ridiculous. But So in a broad sense, but however, if I worked really, really hard and never slept or talked to anybody and made $300,000 a year, and I had $20,000 in real estate losses, what you're saying is I would be so far above in the scale that I would essentially be able to deduct nothing against my income.
2: Well, you you would deduct your – you'd have your income from your real estate and you'd deduct your expenses from there. Mm. But then if there was excess expenses, they would not move to your personal return or to the page one of your returns where it would offset your other income.
0: Okay. So what we're saying is there's like – you can you can think of your real estate investing as a bucket and if you have a net loss in that bucket more losses than profits from your renters then those are your passive losses and we're talking about how it uh affects the rest of your income correct
2: correct and that's the reason why i'm a big proponent of of planning Mm -hmm. so if you look and you do planning you could figure out okay do i fall into that am i not going to have these deductions and if i do is there a way i could plan that we can create some passive income
1: so I want to go there, but, but one more question before before we go there. Let's say that I'm I'm you know making three hundred thousand or whatever it is above the threshold, where I can't deduct my losses against my income. Uh, do those losses just disappear, and it's just like a lost opportunity? Do I get to pass them on to my mom? Like
2: <laughs> they 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 sit there, okay, until you actually get to use them. So it's kind of like you you wind up with your own personal balance sheet with these passive losses sitting there on your return.
1: So I could do it for years and accumulate literally hundreds of thousands of dollars in losses.
2: Correct. And And then mm. sell the property and then those losses free up.
1: Uh, Oh, so if I, if I have a really bad
0: year, say 2013, I had no renters. I had to upkeep the property. I lost $20,000. And then I sell that property in 2017. I could claim $20,000 of losses on it against the, uh, profit I make from the sale correct oh wow okay is there any sort of like limitation of years or can you just like if I had losses from 1960 or something <laughs> yeah, like they,
2: they just they just stay with that they stay with that entity okay interesting oh. piece of real estate so it's really important and this is not not an uncommon thing we see where people go from professional a to professional B And Professional B doesn't really take those passive losses that were sitting on their tax return and move them onto their new program because, you know, Preparer A has his own software and Preparer B has his own software. So we see that. So
1: people lose their losses due to, like, paperwork. Oh, 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 shit. That could be an
0: expensive mistake.
2: Yes, it can. And I've seen some very expensive mistakes.
0: So kind of a tangent here. Do these passive losses only apply to real
2: estate or do they apply to something else? Well, these have to, what we're talking about have to do with real estate, but there are other ways to be, you know, have passive activities that can generate losses.
0: Okay. I'm just thinking like right now, like what if I have a hobby business in my garage that actually loses money for years? I know like eventually you're not supposed to deduct those losses from your normal income. I don't know if that falls into the same category or not.
2: That's kind of a little bit different. Okay. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't confuse it with, the typically it's the passive, the issue with passive losses not being deductible really have to do with real estate in more cases than not. Gotcha. Uh, the okay. hobby loss rules are a, a little bit different. So, yeah.
1: Let's say I had a hobby where I just had a website and people just sent me money for absolutely no reason, right? <laughs> and I, I literally took me no effort. They just sent me money. It's completely passive. Could losses of rental properties deduct against this arbitrary website that just like sends me money?
2: If it was done correctly, okay? Interesting. Hmm. If it was done correctly.
0: So like the Offset Andrews Real Estate Losses Kickstarter Fund.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking of launching a website where people could just send me money for no reason.
2: Well, may- maybe if you had an employee that was running that website, that mm-hmm. would probably more be more along the lines. Got you. Interesting. I okay. always want to dot those eyes and cross those t's.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're talking about losses of rental property, but it, you know, unless like you're inducted into this like weird world of rental property, just like why would I own a rental property that loses money? That sounds really stupid. Um, can can you enlighten everybody on how it's likely not stupid and how they're okay. probably making money?
2: Sure. So there's cash flow. Let's just say you're renting it out for $20,000 a year
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you have $20,000 of um, interest and repairs and taxes and stuff like that. So maybe you broke even there. Mm-hmm. But now you have, let's just say, $10,000 in depreciation, which is a non-cash expense. So you didn't actually have to pay that $10,000 out because you've already bought the building.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: that $10,000 brings you down to a negative ten.
1: Okay, so I have a mortgage on this property and I have a tenant that's paying the mortgage and they're also covering all the expenses. This building exists. It's not doing anything for me. It's netting zero. But because the building's just like getting older, I just like get tax credits.
2: You get depreciation expense, yes. Mm. Mm. So that's what normally brings people to zero. Interesting. Or below zero, below zero.
1: Below
0: zero in terms of, of net income?
2: Correct. So, okay. So a loss. Gotcha.
1: So how how do you calculate this magic depreciation?
2: Well, there's there's rules. Um, you know, a typical residential building is depreciated over 27 and a half years. Commercial building is typically thirty nine years. Um, then you know, so a lot of times people buy a, a rental property and they take they paid three hundred thousand dollars for it and they say, okay, well the land was worth a hundred, so. The land doesn't depreciate, so now I have another 200 to depreciate, and they deducted by 27 and a half years, Probably years, divided by 27 and a half, and they get to deduct that every year. Uh-huh. Now, if they did some planning, we might do a cost segregation study and say, okay, well, you have a building, mm-hmm. and maybe we have uh, machinery that's 10 or 15-year property, and we have landscaping that might be 10 or 15-year property, and we have kitchen cabinets that are seven years, and we have you know, other mechanical stuff that's, you know, seven years and five years. And so now we could depreciate that stuff instead of doing it over 27 years, we do it over three, five, seven or 15. So you get more okay. of that depreciation expense in the early years ah. yeah. versus spreading it out evenly. So,
0: so you're saying that you're basically like piecing the building up into several different little categories and then you can depreciate those categories at different rates.
2: Correct. Versus so I'd, taking,
1: huh. I'd be like, hey, Cody, um, come come join my tax team. And you get in there and you slice and dice this property into the cost of the cabinets and the doors and the floorboards and whatever. And I just get more deductions earlier on and not like 27 and a half years from now. Correct. Okay.
2: Hmm. That's pretty cool, isn't it?
1: That's yeah. really cool. Now, my, my follow-up question is what if I have – like a real asshole tax guy who is not doing okay. that now, or or maybe it maybe maybe I just didn't deduct things properly because I was doing it on my own or whatever. Could we come in at year two or year seven and write the ship or is it is it like a lost opportunity at that point?
2: Oh, it's not a lost opportunity. so that's why we we come in, we have you do. Um, a cost segregation study. And, you know, on a residential building, it's not like going into a multimillion dollar building and costing all this money. You get it done. We file a certain form and you get to pick up all that depreciation that you should have taken. Okay. Over the last seven years and you get it all one, one shot. So it's oh. called planning. So the guy is not necessarily an asshole. He's putting the right numbers in the right, right boxes and he's doing yeah. everything, but he's not, he's just not planning. And typically there's not a lot of communication and, It just takes more communication and a little bit more time to do that kind of stuff. But it turns into dollars.
0: Interesting. Let's say that, you know, we got a 30 year property or you're saying we could depreciate over 27 years and I've been doing that for five years. So maybe I took just around number a thousand dollars off of my net income each year for five years. You're saying we could go in, we could, we could do the cost segregation uh, study. We could figure out what's been left on the table for the past five years just saying maybe it's an extra 3,000. So this year I can take my normal 1,000 plus that extra 3,000?
2: Well, this year you would take whatever you should have taken in year, okay. let's just call it year seven. Yeah. And then all that missed depreciation that you should have taken, you pick all that up in that same year.
0: Okay. Wow. And Andrew, how many, you haven't even had your places for one year yet though, right?
1: Yeah. I, maybe one of them is like a year and a month at this point. Okay. Um, but Okay, so here's the thing. So you say this like cost segregation study. I'm in New York or almost New York like across the river from New York, Cody, you're in New York, so what what do I have to do? Pay to fly you out there so you can like <laughs>
2: no <laughs> no there's there's actually a company that we deal with that does the study, okay, mm-hmm. uh, because we're not trained in that, and it's it's actually reasonably priced. And, you know, they put you through um, a series of questions and there's a lot of information you have to give them. And they they, they put the study together and they stand behind the study.
1: So what does reasonably priced okay. mean? And also, okay, so what does reasonably priced mean?
2: So let's just say a residential building, you know, less than $1,000. So,
1: okay, so if I have some okay. standalone thing in Georgia, it'll be like $1,000 and they'll go into every room and they'll find like screws and, and all this stuff.
2: No. For $1,000, they're not going to fly out to your house in Georgia. Okay.
1: <laughs> but th- they have
2: the software and the questionnaire for you to go through mm. and they have algorithms and it works very good. We've seen it work. Um, and based on that, they will give you a cost segregation study that can stand up to an IRS audit.
1: Okay. So let, let me make so this even more difficult. There are like you. basically
0: models that allow them to do this without actually having to look at the physical property.
2: Well, yeah. Cause you're, you're looking at it and you're putting in the information that they need.
1: Oh,
0: okay. Cool. So, well, Andrew, you can't do that.
1: Uh, well, here's the thing is so so that sounds great cuz I just have to fill this questionnaire, but the property's in Georgia and what if I've never seen it before? Like I mean, I've seen the pictures of it on the internet. I think you could handle it. Okay, okay. So so I don't have to have I don't Send have to a like task know with an iPhone. Yeah. Okay. So all right, fair enough. I, I got you.
2: Kind of like we're having this conversation right now. We're in three different places.
1: That's true.
0: You could just have somebody with a Skype and a phone and walking around the house. My question right now is, you know, if it's a thousand dollars, how does how do you do the math to make sure that's going to pay off?
2: Well, usually what we do is we could pop in some numbers and we could get a general idea what what it's going to be before you pay. Exactly. So
0: really the people that you're hiring to do this, it's kind of a formality and you you already have an educated guess of what you're going to be able to save by doing this? Exactly.
2: You know, they, they've done it many, many times. So they kind of standard building. They have a general idea.
0: Okay. And now, so explain this to me. I mean, we're depreciating faster, but we're still depreciating the same amount over the long term, right? So where do the savings lie in that
2: structure? Up front. So up front, you get more, de- more deductions up front and less on the back end. So let's so just you- say- You take that money that you save in year one through five and you put it in the bank. Okay. When you get to year 25, you'll have a lot more money than you did if you took that, you didn't take that money. So really the,
0: the concept here is lower your income now by taking a higher depreciation, invest the money you save and you're investing more sooner. So you'll have better compound returns over the long run, which should offset the, um, the fewer amount of dollars you can depreciate later on,
2: right? I mean, it's, it's basically you're you're taking that money that you would not have had, and you're using it maybe. If you, and typically, people in real estate buy more real estate, mm. you know. Okay. So they use that cash flow to do other things.
0: Gotcha.
1: Or if you want to exit a property, you know, this could count against the profits and stuff. So you don't have to wait thirty years to, you know. Well, it it,
2: it doesn't. You know, when you sell a property, you have to recapture that depreciation. Okay, what does oh, that mean? So, Go on. So, when when you sell a property, all right, and you've depreciated that property. Mm-hmm. So you ba- let's just say I pay a hundred thousand dollars for a building, mm-hmm. and every year, just let's make it simple. I depreciate ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So after after five years, my basis in that property is fifty thousand dollars. If I sell it for a hundred and fifty, now I have a hundred thousand dollar gain
1: oh. instead of a fifty,
2: because I took that money. I depreciated it and yeah. I took that expense.
1: Interesting. So essentially you should ideally not sell rental properties until like 30 years or something.
2: Well, you'll have depreciation down the road, but you know it'll, you have to just kind of look, look at the economics of the deal. It
1: mm. so doesn't if, make sense. If we were mm. working together, I'd be like, Cody, can I sell this? And you'd run some analysis and you'd tell me the cost essentially.
2: Correct. We'd be able to figure, okay, this is what the tax liability is going to be. And then maybe you're going to do it. Maybe you're going to do a 1031 exchange. So there is no tax liability.
1: What is that? Right? Oh
2: yeah. What's that? (laughs) 1031 is a tax free exchange of, you know, we'll, we'll call it real estate. So I sell building A, I have $150,000 profit, but I don't want to pay tax on that because I'm buying building B. Mm. So I take all that money and I'm rolling it into building B. So what I use is I use an independent person okay, which is like an agent, Mm -hmm. okay? I never get the money. I have approximately 45 days from the time I sell the building to identify three other buildings that I want to buy and I have to close on one of those buildings in six months. And it's a tax-free, I don't pay tax on the sale.
0: Oh, Oh, wow. Man, I wish there was something like that for stocks.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's called IRAs and 401ks.
0: So, Oh, wait, so if, actually that, I mean, just tangent here, but so if I have... If I've got money in an IRA and it's invested in one fund, I can move it to a different fund without paying taxes?
1: Yes. Within the IRA. Oh, man. But, okay, Cody. Okay. So you could have this property and you can milk it of all the deductions. You could like front load it because the cabinets are blah, 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 all these things, and then exit it into potentially a, more, a bigger, more expensive property and pay nothing as a result. You basically sucked all the juice out of it. And then you just move on to the next one, and you continue that.
2: Well, you can't suck the juice again out of the next property.
1: Well, can't you depreciate this new property?
2: No, but that's well because your basis is still what it used to be mm. in your old property. So let's just say you've sucked it all out, and your basis is down to zero. Mm-hmm. And but you, you paid one hundred and fifty for it, and you're selling it for a million. Right. And you're going out, and let's just say, keep it simple. We're going to buy another building for a million. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So normally you'd pay tax on a million dollars right so you're gonna lose depending on where you are by selling 15, 20% okay by selling but instead of doing a regular sale you do a 1031 exchange now you don't pay all that tax you have this new building that's now worth a million dollars okay or more but you don't get to depreciate anymore because you've already depreciated out. Now. Mm-hmm. now we have a client now that um, had a property in California where land is expensive and he bought two properties in a state where land is very inexpensive. So he's going to now have more depreciation because of the value of the land is less. So he could actually – he's going to get some additional depreciation. But that's his, not the norm. Right. It's not the norm.
1: Interesting. So once you've basically mm. sucked dry one, like property one, you, you do the, this exchange – uh, but you like ideally, you would never take the cash out because then you have to pay this enormous profit. Correct. Correct.
0: All right. I'm still confused, which means that listeners might still be confused. <laughs> <laughs> so so maybe let's break this down a little bit simpler because we're using things like basis points or ba- basis things. I don't know what that means. So if I have building A and you said we paid 100 grand for it up front, now by depreciating, you're, are you saying that like, in five years, the building is now worth 50000
2: No, no, I'm saying let's just, and we're using a, a big number for depreciation, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's just say we, we depreciated $10,000 a year. So when we go to sell that property, we've taken $50,000 worth of depreciation. So for tax purposes, it's it's like we paid 50000 for it, not a hundred. if I keep it really, really simple. Yeah. So now I go to sell it, if I sold it for one hundred and fifty, I'd have approximately a hundred thousand dollar gain. Okay. Instead so, of a fifty thousand dollar. Instead of a fifty, because I've taken another fifty thousand dollars in depreciation expense, so it kind of lowers that what we call the cost basis of that building. Okay. And just like I mean, de-
0: depreciation itself—that's usually where you you take the cost. I mean, you, you take the expense off of your taxes over time, right? Yes. So if I were, if I wasn't to depreciate, then I could basically say I had a hundred thousand dollar loss within year one by buying that property. I mean, you, you probably can't do that, but that's can't what it that. would be. Yes. But that's what it would be. If you could do that,
2: if you could do it, yeah.
0: like if I buy a laptop for my business, it's a thousand dollars. So buildings, okay.
2: you, buildings don't work that way. You
0: can't do it with buildings. No. Okay. Okay. So ideally over the life or I mean eventually you would depreciate the entire cost of the building, correct? Yes. Okay, so we're saying that we haven't depreciated the entire cost of the building. We have fifty thousand dollars left that we could eventually depreciate, and then we sell it for a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So we've got a hundred thousand dollars now. So we can't depreciate that the rest of that fifty thousand anymore no, at all?
2: No, when we if we did an exchange, now we would still only be able to continue depreciating that fifty thousand
0: okay, so you're saying only the original fifty thousand dollars that we have not exchanged or depreciated yet that's all we can depreciate in unless the future. you
2: put unless you put more money into the second deal
0: okay, gotcha. I think that's where I was confused I was like I don't I didn't hear that we could still depreciate the original or the the leftover fifty <laughs> and
2: and and that's why you know anybody doing this kind of stuff should be consulting with a, a professional
1: yep so I, I could imagine some like property in Manhattan starting at 150 and an x time ending at a million or like some insane thing that is just ridiculous um I, I own properties in like Georgia and Indianapolis and they're like they're they're increasing in value but very very slowly not like New York so mm-hmm. um with that being said uh, it's it would I never a like would it would uh I'm trying to like phrase it properly like so a, th- a, a the exchange the 301 1301 ex- uh, 1031 1031 exchange that makes a lot of sense if i've made an enormous amount of property i've uh, an enormous, enormous amount of profit on the property based on the sale but if over time i've just generally lost money i might just sell it take the cash and buy a new one
2: right well if you have if you have a loss yeah, then you, you're going to – there's no reason to do an exchange. But let's just say you only have $50,000 in profit.
1: Mm.
2: Do you want to pay tax on that 50000 if you're going to buy another building or another residential property?
1: Well, I feel like if the property that I buy is worth a million, I want to depreciate a million and not only remaining 50.
2: But remember, if you,
1: if does, you does it matter do the
2: exchange, you're going to pay tax. So you're going to pay tax on, let's just say, 20% on a million that's mm. on the federal side. Okay, so you're gonna lose two hundred thousand dollars.
1: Okay, so this is only if I get massive appreciation that like you would do no, that. Th-
2: lots of lots of people do it when they don't have you know, they may they have twenty five or fifty thousand dollars worth of depreciation because they're buying something else. So why should they pay tax and go back into their pocket to buy the next building right, when right. they could let the government basically finance it for them.
0: And bottom line, all this does is delay paying the tax, right? correct so now like let's you just eventually say pay the tax ban
2: oh well, no not necessarily let's just say you know you live to a ripe old age and you've accumulated all these buildings okay and now unfortunately you get hit by the bus so now when you die they a go to bus
1: your, or the bus the bus do you know something now, i don't <laughs> now
2: that you leave them to your kids let's just say mm. So now your kids get what we call step up in basis, and we won't go into that. And they sell it the next day; they pay no tax. Mm-hmm. So you've just, you know, beat the government out of a whole bunch of money.
1: So this is essentially the best way to transfer wealth to kids is through real estate because it's free.
2: That's one way to do it. Yes, yes, and people
1: people like real estate. Mm. I, I live in a house. I like it. I mean, it's not a house. Actually, it's an apartment building, but <laughs> I still like it. Um okay, so to step back a little bit, you were saying, you know, you have this like property. It's like 300,000 and 200,000 is land. Or no, 200,000 is building, 100,000 is land. Did do you just like make that up? Like how do you determine oh, this?
2: You you have to figure out what what's the value of the land and what's the value of the building. So, okay. it's usually easier to figure out the value of the land and then from that subtract out you know, the value of the building. Gotcha. So big question
0: here for the audience who is probably not dealing in million dollar buildings. At what point is the value of somebody's rental property justifiable to go pay someone to do this kind of cost segregation analysis? Because I mean, if I own, you know, say like a $40,000 shack, Is that, does that matter? Like if I pay a thousand dollars to have somebody come in and analyze it, I'm probably going to lose out. So like, is there a certain dollar amount you think is like the
2: right property
0: value for this kind of thing?
2: I would say, you know, at least 250 at at a minimum, you know? Okay. uh, So Andrew shouldn't do this. (laughs) 500 is a sweet spot, but you know what? It's, it's, it's free to figure out whether it makes sense. You know, that's the wonderful thing. I mean, $40,000, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I mean, that's, cause that's usually the kind of real estate investing we've been talking about on this podcast at least, Andrew, right? Yeah. Like go out, buy a whole, or what is it? Wholesale or, you know, not retail market, mm. um, houses that are, you know, 40,000, $50,000 because that's affordable for the first time investor who's only got 10 or 15 K for the down payment. So I just want to make sure that people aren't rushing out, like trying to do this crazy advanced stuff when there's not really a reason to do it at their level.
2: Right. And, and, you as kind of sound like a broken record, but they should definitely consult with a, a professional <laughs> yes. before they do anything. You know, you, you know, we don't, I got a bone sore. Okay. But I wouldn't do my own, you know, amputation. Right. I have a doctor for that. So well,
0: as long as you just the- heat that thing up with a blowtorch, you're good to go. <laughs> <That's honor laughs> <Right>. I,
1: <think. laughs> I guess I, I feel like of all the people that I will fuck with, the IRS is like the bottom of the list. I am yeah. I'm deathly afraid of anything that's not like perfect with them.
2: Correct. And, and everything yep. that we do or we recommend is basically supported by the tax code, not a gray area. It's black and white.
0: We mm. <laughs> were oh. playing a game. Um, it's called Quiplash where there's like a prompt and then – two people have to come up with a, like the funniest word and then everyone votes on it. So one of the prompts was like, what's the scariest thing that will come out of your toilet? And both IRS. of us put the IRS.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so yeah, not the mafia, not Godzilla. It's, it's the IRS. <laughs> <Scariest> <laughs> 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 have either of you ever been audited?
1: Mm-mm. No? No. I, hear, I, say, yeah. I don't hear anything I from this Greg's I have a feeling I, I, that I, it's I, like, I've handled,
2: you know, a number of audits. No, basic, normally they come from people that you know we haven't worked with, and they come to us mm-hmm. and they have an issue, and uh, you know we handle the audit firm.
0: I have this feeling that it, like wouldn't actually be as bad as everyone thinks it's going to be, but I still don't want one. <laughs>
2: right. no, nobody, nobody wants one. Nobody likes getting letters from the IRS. I don't like getting letters from the IRS. Yeah, but you know, it's it's part of doing business. It's part of you know, owning, you know, properties and doing different things. And you just, as long as you're doing it right, they could send you all the letters in the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yep. It's um, it's when you're not doing it right and you get a letter and, you know, every once in a while people try and do things themselves and they don't realize it. You know, classic example, they bought that house for $50,000. They lived in it for 10 years. Now they turn it into a rental property and it's worth 300000 And they start depreciating it at $300,000, you know. Okay. okay, so, that, so why can't they do that?
1: Definitely, because they didn't buy it for that.
2: They paid 50 for it, so it's based on oh, what they paid for
0: so it. Yeah, they can't depreciate value that they didn't actually pay out of pocket. Correct. It's like, okay. So hey, this- is like the money has to actually come out of your pocket for you to depreciate it. I mean, that makes sense, but Okay.
1: Otherwise, you could buy all these properties for 50,000 and start depreciating them at a million and be like, "Well, I'm sure somebody will buy it for that."
0: That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. Do <laughs> you get the letter it is?
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay, so and I gotta fix the and um, stop me when, when this goes like too far into the weeds. <laughs> but uh, there, there's this whole put your property in an LLC because it'll protect you legally. You know when the roof collapses or blah 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 all these things. Now uh, say you you put the property in an LLC, um, and then we could debate whether this makes sense, even putting an LLC, but uh, do, how complicated does that make your taxes? Whereas if I just owned it myself versus putting an LLC?
2: If it's in an LLC and it's what we call a single member LLC, mm-hmm. it doesn't make your taxes any more complicated as they were. Would Same form, is, is, oh, most definitely, because you have that $25,000 mm-hmm. property, mm-hmm. all right? And you have other properties. Mm-hmm. And maybe you have a tenant that you know gets sick because there's some mold, right? And you get sued and there's a cap on mold in most states and maybe you get sued for $150,000 and you lose. So now as you sell each of those properties, guess what?
1: You owe it? Yes. Okay, so the LLC, so say you have this like dinky shack like Thomas said for like $45,000 and the roof collapses and it kills their pet lizard and they get awarded $55,000, $55,000, like more than the value of your property. Uh, you would just lose that property and block, like, as opposed to it attacking your retirement savings.
2: Right, I'm not an attorney, but yes, mm. yeah. You
1: know. Okay, so as long as it's single member, uh, you said it doesn't complicate your taxes.
2: Correct.
0: And does well, it basically like, operate the same as any other single member LLC that isn't related to real estate?
2: Yep. So most okay. most single member LLCs that are not in real estate are, are filed on Schedule C your tax return. Uh-huh. If it's real estate, it's Schedule E. So in New York State, okay. it might cost you an extra twenty five dollars for a filing. Okay.
1: So it's literally like a twenty five dollars insurance policy for not screwing over your retirement savings.
2: Yeah, you could call it that. You know, but it should. <laughs> and once again, it should be done with an attorney so you do it right.
1: Right. Right.
0: Yep. So it's really just several hundred dollar insurance policy. You know it's what? A I am a 100% course. willing to pay that. Yeah. <laughs> Working with an attorney. It's funny. When I was when I started in business, I was like, I can do everything myself. It'll be fine.
1: And now it's like, no, not at all.
0: It, it totally makes sense to to pay those people their so, fair share.
1: An- another weird question, Cody. So. Say we're working together and, um, you know, it costs X for our work together and it includes my personal taxes, my rental property taxes, and, and, and let's say that's it. Um, can I deduct your cost uh, in my under my rental properties like they kind of fund it?
2: <laughs> well, the cost associated with the rental property is deducted on the rental property.
1: Uh, I see what you're saying. So I, I couldn't do the whole thing. It would have to be some proportional shared... Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: But it's a, so, it's at least you're getting, you know, maybe maybe, you know, it cost you a thousand dollars to get the tax return done. But if you didn't have the rental property, it would only cost you fifty dollars. But you could go to H and R Block. Mm-hmm. So maybe you wind up with nine fifty on your rental property and fifty on Schedule A, your personal mm-hmm. return.
1: Actually, okay, and and I, I want maybe you could answer this really simple thing because say say it costs a hundred dollars, and I don't, I don't know what it costs for for you to do all my rental property things. But let's say it was a hundred dollars for simple math, or a hundred thousand dollars, whatever the number is.
2: Let's take the second.
1: Okay, let's say yeah. it costs a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> Everyone is going to be knocking your door down after this. Only a hundred thousand uh, dollars. So let's say it costs a hundred dollars for you to do my rental property. Taxes, um, and we're like, well, you could depreciate that against your rental properties. Why does that matter? Like, why would I just pay? Why would I pay you a hundred dollars through the rental property angle and not just like from my bank account? Like, what what's the benefit?
2: Well, it's on, when it's through the rental property, it's one hundred percent deductible. Yeah. When it's on Schedule A, your personal return, you have a floor that you have to first meet. Okay. And you may not maybe you don't itemize, so you would not get it anyway. But you know, most so, people it the floor is typically two percent of your adjusted gross income. So if you're making a hundred, the first two thousand of certain expenses, like your taxes, are not deductible.
1: I, I want you to go like even dumber for me, because you're like, Well, you could just deduct it. I, I get that I could deduct it, but what's the benefit? of deducting it. Like, what do I save? Oh. like, so is, let's it, just, is it free? I still have to pay you. Let's just
2: say you're in the, between federal and state, you're in the 35% bracket. Mm. So, that $1,000 that you paid to get your taxes done, really only cost you $650, because you would, if you didn't uh-huh. have the deduction, you'd pay 350
1: in tax. So, when you go out mm. to the store and buy shit, because it's 10% off, it, if you saw something that said like 35% off, you should like run, not walk to do it. So that's why like you should have these businesses because you deduct things because your life is just cheaper.
2: If they're ordinary necessary business expenses, yes.
1: <laughs> I got you. Okay. <laughs> so so speaking about ordinary necessary business expenses, I love to travel. And uh, everybody talks about how, well, you like buy this rental property in Aruba and then you can like travel to Aruba for free or you like deduct it or uh, what level of uh, reality is this or, or is there even a strategy where you could do things like this and deduct travel?
2: Well, there is a strategy, okay? It depends on how many days you're traveling and what, what percentage of your travel is deductible. It also depends on what you're doing. If you're laying on a beach for the seven days. It's not working, okay. (laughs) But let's just say you're looking at rental properties every day. Then it's working, okay. So you is there a percentage
0: of like work versus leisure when you go on a trip like that?
2: There, there is a chart that we have, and I can't um, recite that verbatim. But yes, yeah. So basically, like,
0: it's not like you have to be working every single day. There is some leeway where you could maybe go have some leisure time, but it has to be primarily for business
2: purposes. it, it depends on the percentages and how long you're away, and you might you maybe you'll only get to deduct fifty percent of the trip. Okay. Okay.
1: Ah. Uh, okay. Now, now tell me, tell me how like illegal this is or whatever. But <laughs> let's say that I'm going to Aruba, and there's like a ton of timeshares there, and you know you can go to like these timeshare things, and they'll give you like I don't know free ATV rides or something for going to them. But you're under the impression that you're going to get this timeshare and you're going to like Airbnb it or something. So you have like some crazy scheme and you're going to make money on this and you do it for the certain percentage of time while you're on vacation. Could you deduct your vacation?
2: Well, you could deduct a portion of it if you were there and you spent a certain amount of time looking for these timeshares. You now, if you did the one hour meeting, it's not working. So, so Andrew is
0: basically asking, can I go ride ATVs and deduct that cost of the plane ticket to do that off my taxes? No.
2: (laughs) You don't like those letters from the IRS, right? No, I don't. I don't. That's why I would ask. That's why I'm asking you.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Okay, but but it is possible if I was legitimately say I went to Georgia and I was looking for rental properties and I spent the appropriate amount of time. I don't know, sixty percent, seventy, whatever it is. And then the other remaining time, I did have fun. That that would be appropriate.
2: Right. Depending on what the chart says, yes.
1: No having fun, Andrew. <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> no fun is allowed. Oh, man. Okay. Um, I think we've like gone through every wacky scenario. I mean, you have more wacky scenarios than I have because I don't own any real estate properties. Mm. But uh, Craig, like, what are some mistakes you see real estate investors making other than not getting an appointment with a professional
2: putting it putting it in the wrong type of entity
0: like um, not an llc
2: not an llc maybe they'll put it into a corporation mm. and maybe it doesn't it's not the best type of entity to hold that property um, okay. not correctly depreciating it mm-hmm. um, why would
0: putting it in a corporation be less advantageous than an llc
2: well the, the one that comes up you know quickest is god forbid you get hit by that truck or that bus Mm -hmm. Uh, if it's inside of a corporation the property itself doesn't get a step up in basis the stock does and typically you're not selling the stock you're going to sell the building so
0: it's kind of up in basis what does that mean
2: Meaning, remember we talked before about when you got hit by the bus that million dollar property now if you sold it the next day you paid no tax
1: if when he says basis, actually, he means the cost of the property. So okay. it was 50, and then that, 10 years later, it's 100.
0: Okay. Interesting. So if so I get hit by a bus, like what does that have to do with not paying tax on the building?
2: Well, what happens is now, if, if you held it inside of an LLC, mm-hmm. and it was the value of it was a million dollars the day you got hit by the bus, and your heirs sold it the next day, they'd pay no tax. Where if it was inside of a corporation... And they sold the property the next day. They'd have all this tax. The only way ah. they get the step up that we talk about is by selling the stock. And typically okay. people aren't going to buy the stock in a corporation
0: that just has a building
2: in it. Right. They just want the building because they don't want your liability that goes along with the stock. OK. So you're Let's, saying
0: that it's if I die, basically, and yeah. if the heirs
2: sell it off.
1: And, and you know, shit happens.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Might as well do it the right way because stuff does happen.
1: You've heard about that bus, Thomas.
2: Yes, yes. I've seen the buses
0: in my dreams. (laughs) It's coming for me. (laughs) The one evil bus. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Andrew, do you have any other questions before we start Uh, wrapping this
1: up? Yeah. I have like one blanket thing. Do do you think that uh, there are any like key tax strategies that we didn't like touch on that, uh, Real estate investors could use to lower their tax bill, or a compelling reason why, you know, this is a tax advantaged investment.
2: Well, well, let's let's. I'll give you one outside the box thing that um, people don't realize. Let's just say they have that um, own that one piece of real estate property inside of a single member LLC, and maybe they have uh, three kids that are probably you know ten to fifteen years old, and each of those kids are going to need braces, Hmm. which are expensive. Mm-hmm. So, if they had a single member LLC, they could set up a, a medical expense reimbursement plan inside that LLC, and then write off those braces. Oh, so that's one really? outside the box thing. Yeah. W-
0: what? What uh, if I needed what's braces? What's the reasoning and- behind that?
2: Um, it's because you would let's. In this case, you might hire your spouse to do something for that LLC. Okay. And she wouldn't. She would not get paid, but her wage would be this medical expense reimbursement plan, and. Uh-huh. Basically, you get to write off uh, the cost of those braces, which normally you more than likely would not be able to do.
0: Okay, so the LLC is is essentially paying for some service, but it's paying for it in the form of a medical expense reimbursement plan, which you don't have to define so granularly as like a wage.
2: No, you have to, it has to be reasonable compensation for whatever that person's doing. So,
0: so she can't just like go like yo-yo or something like there has to be some,
2: some work done. Do something. Okay. Maybe it's, maybe it's driving by the property every week to make sure it's still there. Okay. You know, that it's not, you know, that the lawn's getting cut and stuff like that. You know, you could also hire your kids to go check on it and pay them.
0: So Andrew, you got to send Laura to Georgia to check on the property. Um, and then you can buy braces.
1: For free. <laughs> so, 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 so if I understand this correctly, and say, say I made like eighty thousand dollars, I could get my kids' braces for thirty five percent off, and still capture the entirety of that expense as a deduction that comp- that reduces my taxable income.
2: Right. Like, well, that's why you'd get the thirty five percent off because you you took a deduction for those braces.
1: Hmm. That's so that's cool. a little bit
2: of out outside the box thinking. Yes.
1: Yeah. Can you do this for yourself as well, or only for people oh, it, other than you?
2: You could do it for anybody in your family. So you just have to hire your let's just say your spouse, mm. and then that medical expense reimbursement plan covers everybody in your family.
1: Say we had this, expense. you can't expense. hire yourself, right?
2: No.
0: Okay, because you're the you're the partner or whatever.
2: You're the this, single member. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So say we had this uh, set up. You know, me and my wife and Laura's been doing all the work. Uh, and, uh, we have a a child and, um, the medical bill for having kids is like insane or the hospital and whatever. Could, could we literally deduct that against our rental property?
2: If you had a medical expense reimbursement plan and you did it right? Yes.
1: Oh my God. Wow. I have a lot of work to do. I can see the wheels (laughs) turning in Andrew's head right now.
0: (laughs) Sounds like a pretty good episode for you, man.
1: Yeah, I have a You're lot in of action you to points. use this stuff. Cool. Seriously,
0: Craig, well, thank Craig, you. Craig, you. you might have a hundred thousand dollar client coming in.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's okay, and you know, I, I want to just uh, let you know uh, um, that I'd like to offer any of your listeners a copy of uh, a free copy of my book, "The Ten mm-hmm. Most Expensive Tax Mistakes That Cost Business Owners Thousands. Okay. So um, we'll give you the uh, link for your show notes. Sweet. Yeah, it's perfect. To the uh, CraigCodyandCompany.com forward slash money matters.
1: Awesome. Nice. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And if somebody wants to like lead in softly and ask you some tax question and potentially become a customer, how would they contact you?
2: They could go to our website, uh, which is www.CraigCodyandCompany.com. They can call us at uh,
0: 516-869-4051. All right. I think that may be the first phone number that's ever been given out on this
1: podcast. (laughs) I was going to say, like, I don't know if I've ever used the phone function on my phone before. (laughs) I have. I'm a a
0: call person. I I usually prefer to call than text.
2: Most people actually just go to the site, send us an email. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Well, Craig, thank you so much for coming to the show. And we will have all those links in the show notes for people to check out. Uh, so, I mean, if you're a real estate investor or if you are considering doing it in the future, this is stuff to definitely consider. I mean, even I mean, if you don't – even if you get your $40,000 shack, like I would probably have – like that that medical expense reimbursement thing is pretty interesting.
1: And actually, I just want to say like that, um, yes, you definitely need a tax person for doing real estate things because it's crazy complicated and there's a lot of deductions and stuff and – You know, you could just uh, do your own simple taxes on TurboTax, which I did, but uh, we encourage you maybe to use some more vehicles uh, to take advantage of deductions and stuff, and and in that case, you should definitely get a tax person. Laura and I did uh, attempt to do things like this on our own in the beginning, and we certainly paid the price um, in lots of IRS fines.
0: Oh yeah, I remember that. And I'm really glad I have an accountant because last time I went to do my taxes, he looked at my books and he was like, you're fucked this, this, and this wrong. (laughs) This isn't uh, accounts payable. This is an expense. (laughs) I had like so many things done wrong. So yeah, hire professionals. That's the main lesson here. Anyway, Craig, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, Thanks guys for having me. Yeah, Absolutely. and everyone else. Thanks for listening. Um, if you're interested in real estate investing, then we have an amazing tool for evaluating properties and seeing, uh, basically estimating exactly how much you would make per month based on the value of the property, the uh, expected rent you could get, all that kind of stuff. Andrew coded it like literally left half of his soul in it, pretty much. <laughs> so you can find that over at Uh, Check it out; it's a great tool. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk it up because I didn't make it, so. I feel Thanks, like it's fine for me to talk about.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I have like this imposter syndrome. Like, I can't talk about it. No, it's awesome. It's it's seriously really cool.
0: Um, You can also find our our other favorite money management resources for not managing rental properties, just everything in general to uh, do with your money over at com slash toolbox. So check out that page for books, for apps, for all kinds of cool tools that you can use to manage your money better. So I think that's it. Thank you guys for listening, and we will see you in next week's episode. Later, guys. Later, man. Thanks, guys. Please tell your friends
2: about this show.